The student ministry podcast you're about to hear is a sermon preached by Brother Larry Chapel at the 2010 West Coast Baptist Youth Conference. Brother Chapel serves in the youth ministries of Lancaster Baptist Church, and we hope this message is a blessing to you. For more sermon resources, please visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. In Acts chapter 17, we find the Apostle Paul in Athens, Greece. At this time, Athens was the center of education and philosophy of the world. And in the worldly sense, the men of Athens had a lot to offer intellectually. But they were in desperate need of a Savior. And while Paul is here in Athens, he's waiting for his two friends, Timothy and Silas, to come and meet up with him. But while he's waiting, the Bible says that his spirit was stirred. Because the city was wholly given to idolatry. And they were consumed with idolatries. And there were idols everywhere. If you were there in Athens at the time, and even if you visit until this day, the streets were filled with graven images. They were filled with idols. One historian said if you were to visit Athens, uh, you'd have better luck finding a god than you would a human being. Because there were so many gods. And the Apostle Paul observed this, that the city was wholly given to idolatry. They had 12 official Greek gods, uh, the Olympians, and then they had hundreds and hundreds of every god. Virtually every feeling, every type of weather uh, was a god that they worshipped. And they had hundreds of these gods and hundreds of these images everywhere. And they were a culture, a society, a city wholly given to idolatry. These idols were the object of of their worship, and obviously it displeased God. With all of their worldly knowledge, they did not know of the one true God. Uh, As we read earlier, rather than wait around, Paul is led by the Spirit. He is stirred to do something about it, and he is stirred to preach the gospel in this pagan culture. And we have a similar decision to make, just like Paul Paul made. Will we decide to worship Christ rather than culture? And that's the question today. Are you going to worship Christ, or will you worship culture? And will you worship the idols of this culture. Word gets out about Paul's new doctrine, and the men of Athens are curious uh, to exactly what Paul is saying. So they invite him uh, to somewhat of an informal meeting at the Areopagus, or uh, the, the Mars Hill, which was the highest Greek court of the day. At one point in time, this court had the authority and had the power to sentence a man to death. But now, uh, under Roman rule, they didn't have so much of an authority to do that. But they are more of a, a political and a spiritual head court of the day. And they invite Paul to this court to to speak of the strange things that the Apostle Paul was preaching. And he comes to this meeting atop of Mars Hill. And the Apostle Paul boldly charges them uh, of of being ignorant worshipers. They were intelligent philosophers, but on all reality, they were ignorant worshipers. He says this in verse number 23, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly, or this is mistaken worship or wrong worship, therefore whom ye ignorantly worship, him I declare unto you. And although we are thousands and thousands of years removed from Paul's day, ignorant worship still exists today. I'm talking about mistaken worship. I'm talking about idolatry, any worship that is pointed to anything, anybody other than God. 
In this passage, it's clear that Paul is referring to unbelievers. They were ignorant worshipers. But there are times, I believe, when we as believers can become ignorant also in our worship. Five other times in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul charged believers and says, Be ye not ignorant. And the same charge goes to us this morning, that we would not be ignorant in our worship. Many teens live their life proclaiming uh, to be Christians, yet all the while ignorantly worshiping their own idols. We were created to worship. That is the way God designed us. God designed us to worship Him. In every society, in every culture, worship has always existed. In every person, we were made to worship. So the, the question today is not, will we worship? Because we all worship and we are all ever worshiping. The question today is not, will we worship? But whom will we worship? Who will be the object of our worship? Anything other than God, and we are too guilty of ignorant worship. We often think of worship on Sundays and we come to church to worship and we go to our Sunday school classes to worship when the reality is a lot of times we're bored with our disinterest in God. We sit there, we're bored, we're preoccupied and then throughout the week we go on our own and that's when our true worship takes place. We worship the things that we like, the things that we want to do. We worship our friends and our hobbies and our social networks and our sports and whatever else may interest us at the time. Matthew 15 describes this type of hypocrisy. It says, The people draweth nigh, draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me. John said, Ye worship, ye know not. And I believe if we're not careful, we too can become guilty of ignorant worship. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto them, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. And may that be said of each and every one of us today, that we turn from the idols that our culture has created to the one and true living God. My challenge to you this morning is to not get caught up in the idolatry of this world, but rather declare Christ like Paul did to a lost and dying world. In order to do this, you're going to have to make a few choices. First of all, you must reject the culture of society. Uh, the culture of idolatry. Reject the culture of idolatry. Paul waited there in Athens, and it said, uh, verse number 16, that his spirit was stirred. And when he saw uh, the city wholly given to idolatry, therefore, verse number 17, therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them, with, uh, with them that met. See, Paul enters the city And although they had beautiful architecture, and I'm sure these graven images were beautiful, he was not enamored with the the culture of idolatry that was prevalent in this day. He was not enamored with it, as many of us are. A lot of us are enamored with today's culture of idolatry. We look at the, uh, the basketball players and the, and the musicians and the movie star, and we are enamored with those things. And, and the Apostle Paul, as he enters the city, he was not enamored with those things. His heart was stirred. He was compelled to go and do something for the cause of Christ. He chose to view this situation biblically. And rather than be enamored with idol- idolatry, he would choose to reject it. Now we live in a culture that is holy, like the culture here that Paul's referring to, wholly given to idolatry. 
We worship everything and everybody. And you are going to have to make a decision this morning. Am I going to accept it? Am I going to offer my worship to these idols that culture has presented in front of me? Or will I reject it? God's first commandment, Exodus 20, that thou shalt have no other gods before me. Paul was stirred. Look, don't get used to sin. Don't let, don't let sin just be uh, a part of, it's just, we live in a sinful culture. This is just the way it's going to be. So I'm just going to go hide in my closet and keep my mouth shut. No, that's not what the Apostle Paul decided to do. Don't get used to sin. Look, if we don't reject it, it won't be long before we're overtaken by it. And Paul rejected the, the culture of idolatry. I doubt any of us before we came to the conference uh, were uh, at home in our bedroom and maybe whittling away on a piece of wood and we made a graven image and then we bowed down and worship. It's highly unlikely that that took place. It's actually much easier in the culture that we live in because culture creates the idols for us and sets them in front of us. And then by the millions, people worship these and sadly Christians do the same thing. I think, of, uh, I think of shows like American Idol, and even the name. I mean, Hollywood doesn't even deny the fact that they do this. Here's a show, the whole intention is to create the next idol, literally. People worship these people. And here's a show, they're going to create the next idol. And look, at, uh, for the past five seasons, they've averaged more than 30 million viewers. It is the number one rated television show by the Nielsen ratings. And look, this is what it's all about, culture, Hollywood, producing an idol. And you know what? People fall head over hills and bow down and worship these, and Christians do the same thing. I believe if the Apostle Paul were to step off a plane at LAX, and he would make his way down the 5 and then the 14 freeway to come to this conference, I believe he would be taken back by the strange gods that we worship. I think he would see things like the Staples Center and Dodger Stadium, and and really, to many, those are just temples of worship. It's where time and money is spent and, and, and all of our adoration go to these sports teams. We worship sports and uh, we worship uh, whatever brings, brings us pleasures. And there's casinos and bars and strip clubs where men sacrifice all of their earnings for momentary pleasure. And we live in a culture of idolatry. And you are going to have to make a decision like the Apostle Paul did to either reject it or to continue worshiping like the culture does. If we're going to stand a chance, we must learn to reject the culture of idolatry. 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Wherefore, my, de- my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I'm talking about the idol of pleasure. F- flee from the idol of pleasures. In verse number 18, moving quickly, uh, the, this, the passage mentions the Epicureans. The Epicureans, their goal was pleasure. Uh, They follow the teachings of a man named Epicurus who lived 400 years earlier to this time. And all he taught was uh, do whatever makes you feel best. Uh, uh, Pursue pleasure. And that is the number one God. And they worship pleasure. And I think today we do the same thing. Our society worships pleasure. We worship TV shows that make us laugh and, uh, and media that we like and the music that we like. And anything that brings us pleasure, we will worship. And, and, and a lot of times I'll talk to guys and say, but man, that show is so funny. You know, that's, that's the way that the devil designed that idol to be. And it's captured our attention. We spend more time watching those shows than we do in the Word of God. I think of the idol of pleasure. I think of so many people I've heard uh, that they go and they just live the party life. 
And they live from night to night, from party to party, and they pursue pleasure. And you know what? You're always going to end up dissatisfied in the end because true pleasure and true joy can only come with the walk with God, with the right relationship with God, and putting your head on on the pillow at night with a clear conscience. And uh, I I think yesterday when I was going to Six Flags, how many RVs I passed. And man, it's spring break time. And I hope you get some time to relax. And I hope you have time for some recreation. But you know what? Don't pursue that as your God because our culture has followed the idol of pleasure. I think of the, uh, I, uh, even good things can become idols in our life. Something that may not necessarily be wrong or evil in and of itself. I heard before that whenever a good thing becomes a God thing, it's no longer a good thing. Something even like a schoolwork. Now, you're really weird if school is your idol, but schoolwork too. Man, you could put so much time into that and you could worship that and become worried about that and spend all sorts of time with that. Never once open it in your Bible and you can make that your idol. Good things can become God things. Flee from the idol of pleasure. Flee from the idol of possessions. So many guys are caught up in, man, their cell phone, their computer, their gaming system, whatever they're using, and they worship the idol of possessions. I think of guys that I went to high school with when they got their first car. Man, some of my friends, they got their first car. They're so proud of it, and it's really just a piece of junk, you know, and it barely can make it to school every morning. And these guys spend so much time... uh, just investing in their car. And, and I remember in high school, we didn't have a lot of money, so the guys would get their car and they put new, they wouldn't put new rims on it. They put new hubcaps on the cars, you know. They put some nice new hubcaps. And uh, they put, I don't know, one, one, one of my friends, he bought these real thick windshield wipers, you know, because that was the only upgrade he could afford on his car at that time. I mean, he worshipped his car. And we, if we're not careful, can worship our possessions. And our society is so materialistic. We worship our possession. And our materialism is replacing joy in the world with the desire for stuff. Look, we will never be satisfied if we're pursuing possessions. Because we will never have enough. Uh, We will always want the next best thing. Uh, We will never make enough money. Look. Make sure your heart is right with God and flee from the idol of possessions. Some people will skip out on church to make 25 cents more an hour. Look, that extra quarter just became your God because it took priority over your relationship with God. Flee from the idol of pleasure. Flee from the idol of possessions. Flee from the idol of popularity. Some people worship popularity. Many people unknowingly worship this God. They don't even know. But this is their God, the God of popularity. I can't help but think about the amount of time that is wasted on social networking and things like that. And, you know, I love technology, and I'm a big proponent of social networking if it's used right. And, man, follow people like Brother Skelly on Twitter. And if your youth pastor has a Facebook, man, follow him. But you know what? Don't get so caught up in that 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 then becomes your God. I think uh, in this verse here, it's interesting to note in verse number 21, it says, For the Athenians and strangers, which were, listen to this. And tell me if this sounds like social networking to you. Which were spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. (laughs) That sounds like social networking. I mean, we get addicted to it. I've been there before. We log on every day just to see what's new with all of our friends. And we're checking it uh, 8, 10, 11, 12 times a day. And we've never once uh, uh, opened our Bible and had a time with God that morning. Don't let things like this popularity become uh, your idol. I think of unhealthy relationships uh, can become an idol. Man, it's sickening. How many guys have someone in your youth group, maybe a guy and a girl, and man, they like each other so much, it's just gross. Anyone have like that? Okay, you don't have to point fingers or something like that. But, man, sometimes you come to church, you see this guy, and literally, 
Their idol is their girlfriend. That's all, that's all they think about. They, all they think about is their girlfriend. Uh, they're always looking for them, and when they're with them, they can't even make eye contact with anyone else. And you can tell that the relationship was unhealthy because that person has just become their idol or their god. I think of some people, they think, man, I'm going to make it big. I'm going to be popular. And you know what? If you're a child of God, I don't believe that's in his will that you become big and popular and a movie star. The closest you'll come is just to scratch the surface and you'll never get it because that wasn't God's desire for you. There are those that live their life for the approval of men rather than God. And it should be the opposite way. The idol of popularity. I think of the idol of power. This boils down to control. Those who want the control of their own life. I'm talking about people that they don't like to talk about God's will because they've got their own plans. They don't even want to entertain the thought of letting someone else have control of their life because they worship the idol of power. And that is all they want. That is all they search after. And they've got their plans and they seek after uh, success. and, And that's what they want. They've got the idol of power. If we are going to make it, if we are going to make an impact for eternity, if, like the Apostle Paul did, then we are going to have to reject the idols of culture, reject the culture uh, of idolatry. But then secondly, worship Christ exclusively. We must reject the culture of society, of idolatry, excuse me, and then worship Christ exclusively. Okay, We don't have the time to develop all this, but the Apostle Paul here in this passage, he convicts them of their sin of idolatry, and then he tells them of the one true God. And he uses their God there to the unknown God to point them to their need for the true God. And he challenges them to worship Christ exclusively. And then he begins to tell them why. And he begins to tell them uh, the difference that God is between their other gods. God doesn't want to be just another God on the shelf. He doesn't want to be just... What the Apostle Paul was not telling the Greeks to do was to include God among their many other gods. He was compelling them to reject all other gods and worship Christ alone. God desires our exclusive worship and attention. He is a jealous God. The Bible says that no man can serve two masters. We can't please the world and we can't worship idols and and love and worship God at the same time. It just doesn't work that way. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And listen to this, verse number 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Listen to this. That in all things he might have the preeminence. This is Christ who deserves first place in our lives. He deserves to be preeminent. There is a difference between preeminence and prominence. A lot of us are happy with giving God the prominence. Okay, I could invite five of you up here with me and we could all be prominent. You can have many prominent things in your life. You could have many prominent hobbies. You can like basketball and baseball and football. And those are the prominent things that you worship. God doesn't desire just to be prominent in your life. God desires to be preeminent. He desires to be the only object of your worship. A lot of us think, man, man, we're doing good because Christ is prominent in my life. And that's not good enough. Christ deserves to be 
preeminent. He deserves our worship, uh, our exclusive worship. I think of the time uh, that Elijah was on top of Mount Carmel uh, uh, with the showdown against the 450 prophets of, of, of Baal. And at the time, Israel had a problem because they didn't know who they were going to choose. They were enamored with the idols of the day. They didn't know if they wanted to follow the one true God. And, uh, uh, and Elijah says, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. Look, it's time to make a decision. I'm going to choose God rather than the idols of this world. I worship Christ because he deserves it. He deserves it because of what he did on the cross. He deserves it because of salvation. The Apostle Paul goes on. You can read it to tell how awesome God is because he was the creator of the world. He is the ruler of the world. He has all things in his control. God deserves our worship. Christ, nothing else that you worship deserves it. God sent his son to die for us. He deserves our worship and adoration. He deserves it. Not only does he deserve it, he demands it. Verse number 30 of this passage. And in times of ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. God commands our worship. And you say, man, I've gotten away with it this long, having this idol in it. Man, I don't see any effect on me, and I I seem to be doing pretty okay, okay? God may have winked upon that, and God may have allowed that for a time, but the time has come now to repent and worship the one true God. Worship God because he deserves it. Worship God because he demands it. And you know what? One day... He will get it because one day every knee will bow. And this is what the Apostle Paul, you can read here, tells the Greeks. He said, one day everyone will worship this one true God. You become like what you worship. A lot of times in the Old Testament, God would describe the children of Israel as deaf, blind, and dumb. Because the gods they worship were deaf, blind, and dumb. And we become like unto the gods that we worship. You worship the heavy metal crowd, it's not long before you change the way you dress, the way you talk, the way you act. Because you become like the gods you worship. We are made to worship Jesus Christ. We are made to worship God so that we might be conformed into the image of God. That is why it is so important that we worship God, that we might be conformed into his image. Reject the culture of idolatry. Worship Christ exclusively. And then thirdly, stand for him publicly. Stand for him publicly. Verse number 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said unto them, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. The decision to worship Christ exclusively is a private decision that you must make. But then at some point in your life, you're going to have to make it public. You can't be an undercover Christian the rest of your life. Paul could have chosen to silently wait in the corner of Athens while all this pagan worship was going around. He could have silently waited there for Timothy and for Silas. But he said, you know what? My heart is stirred and I'm going to do something about it. And it's time that some of us, maybe in your public school where idolatry is so prevalent, that you say, look, my heart is stirred and I'm going to do something about it. And Paul took a stand. He took action. Look, this is not a popular decision. A lot of times you are going to have to stand alone as many others in the Bible did. The average Christian teenager at best have learned to tolerate sin. Paul said, you know, I'm not going to tolerate it. My heart is stirred and I'm going to do something about it. This takes biblical courage that comes from a deep love and respect for God. Stand for him. Stand for him publicly, whether it be at your church, at your school, in your neighborhood. Say, look, I'm going to worship God alone, and I'm going to tell others about it. Stand for him publicly, as the Apostle Paul did. Reject the culture of idolatry. Worship Christ exclusively. Stand for him publicly, 
And then fourth, expect a response. God's word never returns void. At the end of the message, the Apostle Paul got a response. Look at verse number 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked and others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Paul got a response. Whenever the gospel is given, there are always three ways to respond. First of all, some will mock you. If you read in this passage, they called the apostle Paul a babbler. You know what they did? They said uh, they called his message, the gospel message, strange. When they heard how God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for their sins, they said Paul was the crazy one. These are the same people who worship hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of false, made-up, created gods and goddesses, and they called Paul strange. Isn't that how it is today? Uh, You say, I'm going to take a stand to live pure, and you're the one that's stupid. Meanwhile, that friend who made fun of you three years later, he's the one trying to figure out a way to pay child support, but you're still the one that's stupid. And you say, I'm going to dress a certain way, I'm going to act a certain way, and I'm going to live to please God, and you're the one that's mocked. But expect it. Paul was mocked. Some mocked him. I went to a public high school close by, Eastside High School. We have a Bible club there. I was walking out of the Bible club one day, and, man, there was a car full of guys. And, I mean, it was, it was the most junky, messed up uh, car. Uh, it hardly even ran. And these guys, these guys were, I mean, they were weird. And I'm coming out of the club, and man, they started making fun of me. And I thought, how is this? They're making fun of me just because simply of what I believe. And that's how it is. We'll get mocked simply for what we believe. And it's not popular to take a stand for Christ in today's age. But take a stand and expect to be mocked. Some will mock you. Some will put off the decision. Read with me here in verse number 32. And when, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, expect to be mocked. And others says, we will hear thee again of this matter. Some will put it off. Now look, this can be just as deadly and just as wrong as mocking because it results in the same thing, indecision. Uh, if God's convicting you this week at youth conference to make a decision for him, some will mock the decision, yeah, some will say, I'm not even going to make that. And then some will say, I'm going to put it off till a later time. And that's just as bad as mocking it because you still are not making this decision. Some will mock, some will put off the decision. Don't get caught putting off the decision. Uh, don't delay. If there's a decision that God wants you to make, don't delay. I got, I got in the bad habit of not wearing my seatbelt. When I first started driving, I always wore my seatbelt. And then just recently in the past year, I got in this bad habit of not wearing my seatbelt. And my wife, <clears throat> she does everything to just buy the book, okay? That's the way her parents raised her. And she wears her seatbelt. And every time I'm in the car and my seatbelt's not on, she always looks over. And any time, no matter where we are in the trip, we can be almost at our destination. And she notices that our seatbelt, my seatbelt's not on. Man, she'll hit me right there in the chest and she'll be like, Larry, put your seatbelt on, you know? You're going to crash and you're going to go through the windshield. And she says that every time. And this happens like once a week. And I'm trying to get back in the habit of putting my seatbelt on. But every time, every time we get in the car, she'll come and uh, she'll look some point in the trip. She'll see if I'm not wearing my seatbelt. Man, she, she hits me right there, knocks the window. Okay, I'm driving. You know, sometimes she's going to like knock the wind out of me. I'm going to pass out. We're going to die. And she'll hit me and say, your seatbelt's not on. I'll, I'll put it back on. Well, a couple years ago, uh, we, were, uh, we were driving uh, during our lunch break. We were trying to figure out where we were going to eat. And all of a sudden, a car swerved in front of us. 
And uh, I had no time, and man, we ended up going. I could tell we were going to crash. And I remember pointing, pointing the car, trying to avoid some telephone poles and some light poles and stuff. And I remember uh, at about probably 35 miles an hour, we hit this uh, fence. We went flying into some guy's backyard. It was a, the car was totaled. Thankfully, we weren't hurt. But man, it was a, it was a pretty good accident. We, were, we landed on some guy's backyard. And I remember as soon as that accident occurred, I looked down. And I look over at Ashley, and Ashley, she's got her hair uh, coming down kind of in front of her face. Uh, the force kind of had you know, knocked the wind out of her, and the airbags had to deploy. I look over at Ashley, and I look down, and my seatbelt's not on. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm going to be busted. <laughs> so here I am. This is after the accident. We're sitting there. The dust is still clearing in the car. And I remember kind of grabbing my seatbelt. <clears throat> you know, like when you see a police officer, and you don't want to make it obvious? Here, my wife, she's got her hair. I look over there, and I grab my seatbelt. And I go and bring it over across. And I push the button down so you don't hear the click, you know, the obvious click. Put it in, undo the button. It's deathly silent. She didn't hear a thing. And she, I'm not telling you, like two seconds later, she lifted her head up. And she, then she hit me in the chest. And she's like, you are so lucky you were wearing your seatbelt. You would have gone <laughs> through the windshield if you had not. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. You know, I got lucky that day. I got lucky that day that the accident were, weren't worse because it would have been a really bad thing if I had not been wearing my, my seatbelt. That would have been a really bad thing. Look, uh, some of you are lucky you've dis- delayed in your si- decision. And, 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 and you are lucky that it hasn't come to haunt you yet. Make that decision right now. Don't delay in your decision. Don't put it off. Some will mock you. Some will put the decision off. But then look at Also, some will believe and follow. Verse number 33, so Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men, men clave unto him and believed. And then it names them. The apostle Paul, yeah, he was mocked. He was mocked. Uh, he was made fun of. Look, our Jesus was mocked also. He was mocked. Some people said, you know, I'm going to put this decision off. But you know, some followed and believed. If you stand for God long enough, his word will not return void. And before long, others will follow and believe. Some mocked, some put it off, but others followed and believed. You know what? Sometimes it's the, the person that you least expect it will follow and believe. I remember knocking on the door of a guy. He was an engineer. He was a smart man. I thought, man, if there's anyone who's not going to listen to me share the gospel, it's this guy. You know what? I went through ahead and shared it, and he got saved just a little while later. Sometimes it's the person that you least expect it, but you never know who it's going to be. Man, tell, tell your friends, uh, tell whoever the Lord puts on your heart, because some will believe and follow. And then finally, continue steadfastly. Reject the culture, uh, the, uh, the idols of today's culture. And then finally, continue steadfastly. 33, verse number 33. So Paul departed from among them. Regardless of whether someone mocks you, regardless of whether someone puts off the decision, and praise God, even when someone accepts and believes, then continue to do what God has called you to do. Continue steadfastly. Paul was just in Athens for a short period of time, and then he moved on to Corinth. And you know what? He did the same thing he had already been doing before in Berea, then in Athens, and then to Corinth. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be not weary in well-doing. He said, no, none of my friends, they're not getting saved, or I'm not making a difference. Look, do what the apostle Paul did. And continue steadfastly. You have a choice that you can make. You have a choice to make today. The Apostle Paul entered into Athens. He could have been enamored with the idols of today. 
And sadly, too many Christians are enamored with the idols of this world. But instead, he chose to live differently. He chose to stand up and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it made an impact. And some followed and some believed. And may we do the same with our lives. Thank you for listening to this Student Ministry 127 podcast. For more sermon resources, visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. And for information about West Coast Baptist College, visit wcbc.edu.